With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Flushing is Burning. I'm Grace, and as always, I'm here with Christian Romo. Christian, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good, but I'm also trying to figure out if the Mets are good or not. And <laughs> I, I was wondering if you could shine a light on the topic, if you had any insight on that. Uh, I think it's going to be hard to tell until major the, the major pieces that are not there right now come back. Um, they haven't looked great recently, but they haven't looked awful, awful either. Yeah, and I think that's something you could ascribe to a lot of teams in baseball right now. I think there are a lot of fan bases one month in trying to figure out if their teams are good or not, whether they've overperformed or underperformed, because I can't tell you if the Pirates are any good. I have no idea if the Marlins are good, but the Mets have the same record as the Astros, and I don't think those two teams are on the same plane. And and, and so I, I guess my question is, when you look at this team, what about it? can you positively ascribe as, yes, this is something that the Mets do well? They get on base really well. Like, that's – that's they don't have a problem with that. Um, they can pitch the first four innings of the game reasonably well if it's one of the main, like main starters past that, you know, who knows. But it's, it's like everything is good in, in like, spurts. Where they'll, oh, okay, this guy had a really good game, or this guy had a really good three game stretch, or, or, you know, something like that. But other than like David Robertson and like Jeff McNeil's turned it on, P. Alonzo's consistently looked good. Other than a few players here and that, it's been a lot of like spurts good, not good, good, not good, good. It, it's difficult to tell. And I mean, it's a small sample too. It's been, I think you'd have a better idea of this towards the end of May, really. Yeah, and uh, that's that's something that I think you're absolutely right about, that some more time is going to have needed to have passed in order for us to make a reasonable conclusion about how this team is. Um, but I think you're also right in, in the assessment that this team gets on base really well. And beyond that, I'm not entirely sure what they do well. What, what I do think is constructed well about this team as they currently stand is that the offense can withstand those spurts as you say 
if there are a couple of players that are not performing up to standards, like for instance, Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor for about 10 days weren't hitting at all, there are enough good bats to support those spurts when things go awry. I don't know if the same thing can be said about either the starting pitching or the relief pitching, because the relief pitching right now has done what I consider to be a pretty admirable job considering the loss of their best player in Edwin Diaz. But if either David Robertson or Adam Ottavino decide to, you know, be mediocre all of a sudden, I don't think there's a recourse. I don't think there's any support. And we're seeing that right now with the starting pitching as well. Uh, It's entirely possible that all five of the pitchers that the Mets thought would comprise their starting rotation are hurt right now. And as we can see right now, there is no coming back from that. If if even two or three of their 30-plus starting pitchers are hurt, there really isn't any support coming coming for them. I mean, the starting pitching thing is you can't, you can design a team with depth, which they did. You know, starting the season, the idea was that Peterson, McGill, Lucchese, Budo, that these guys were going to be depth. And then you got to the point where now they're the rotation. You can't – you're not designing the team with them being starters. You're designing it with them being emergency options. And when you get to the point that all of the emergency options are in your rotation or hurt, there's there's nowhere you can not, – not even the best team can withstand that, you know. Even even if the Dodgers had to get down to their their number ten depth piece, it'd be starting to look a little shaky for them. You know, it's it's difficult to build a team to compete and then have so many major pieces get hurt, like Verlander, like Quintana, like Carrasco. Scherzer getting uh, suspended for ten games. Marte, I think, has been playing hurt. Canna hasn't looked himself. This is the issue with building a team that's both. That, that's older is that you're going to have guys who get hurt more often. And when you do that and the, 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 you know, there's no amount of depth that you can add to that beyond, you know, spending $600 million on this team. Right. But that's, that's bad design in my opinion, then like if, if you're constructing a, a, a starting rotation of five thirty plus pitchers, two of them who are over 40, your depth is no longer that break glass in case of emergency option. And I'm not saying that the Mets had much of a choice because the starting pitching options on, on the free agency market uh, this past off season were, were Verlander and that was about it. And they got Verlander. They, they did their job in, in that regard, but the, there is a bit of a, of a design flaw there. If you don't acknowledge at the start of the season that, yeah, like, having five starting pitchers above the age of 30 is probably not a winning strategy. And it's also, you know, the options were Verlander, who they got, DeGrom, who clearly didn't want to come back, and Rodon was the other top-line starter, and he's hurt. There's there's nothing you can do to, to help that scenario right there. I think the other issue with this team is that they've built a team uh, and given a, a manager – that isn't going to be able to bring the best out of that team. I think if there was a different manager of this team, someone like a Kevin Cash, who's someone who's very good at sort of mixing and matching and plugging guys in perfectly, you'd be able to maximize the, the, the potential that the group has. 
But when you have someone like Buck Showalter, who I think is a very great guy, but, you know, seems he's lost a step this season if he ever had that step last season or if it was just everything broke the right way. He's managing the team like you would manage a team in, like, the year 2000. And that's just not going to work anymore. And and David Peterson, I saw a thing online the other day that he's been told to throw his – someone's told him to throw his slider in the zone more often and to make it a worse slider – when you do these things, when your pitch design and your manager aren't working to the strengths of the team, it's never going to live up to its potential. and It's probably going to disappoint. Well, I think that's a an interesting conversation to have because I'm not someone who understands the value of a manager in the modern game. Uh, I, I, I believe that I have a very old school mentality of what exactly a manager brings. So I, I think I'd like to ask you, the Mets are 15 and 13 right now. Um, are they 16 and 13? Did I? Whatever. They're they're two, three games above 500 at this point. How much of that do you ascribe to Buck? How much of that is the manager making poor in-game decisions or perhaps uh, poor personnel decisions? Like how much of this rests on the manager? I don't know that you can break it down to individual wins and losses, but when you watch him manage the games, I don't, I agree. There's really not anything in, in this day and age that's a good manager anymore. Like, I truly like this is a great manager because of the the reach that the front office has and just sort of meddling with a lot of stuff in pretty much every team. Um, but they're bad managers. And Buck is, I think, showing his age. You can see it in the way that he deploys pitchers. David Peterson, when I went to the Friday night game, David Peterson went out there, pitched four good innings. They were score. It was scoreless through four. They were facing Max Freed. Buck saw it as, oh well, it's just the fifth inning. The rain was coming down. By the time that fifth inning ended, it was an it was either an official game or a game that you know they would pause it or whatever if it was scoreless. But there was a chance to keep the Mets in that game. He could have went to the bullpen. He could have said, okay, this is the third time through the order for Peterson. This isn't going to work. But instead, he said, well, Peterson's got to face 27 guys because that's the way I drew it up. And Peterson went out there and gave up four runs. It, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't work. The way he's managing the team will not work because he doesn't understand leverage. And when you start getting into leverage situations is when you start losing if you don't manage yeah. them correctly. Yeah. Um, I'm of two minds about this because I'm someone who believes that, like, the primary purpose – of a manager throughout a 162 game season is ego management. And there are a lot of veterans on this Mets team who all expect to play a lot because they're getting paid a lot of money to play. And if there were a manager in this position with less experience in managing uh, those egos, like a Luis Rojas, for example, this would probably be going a lot worse for the Mets right now. But I also see the argument about the value of someone making effective in-game decisions. Because as we saw last year, for example, and I'm not putting this on Buck because I, I don't think there's anything Buck could have done at this stage in the season to salvage uh, the Mets' success. But the season came down to a series against the Braves and a series against the Padres. And if your manager is the reason why you lose even a single game. If that single game happens in the wrong moment of the season, that's it. That's the season. 
And it doesn't matter if your team wins 101 games or not. If you can't take two of three against the Padres, you're out of the wild card round. And so I I, I see it both ways. I I sort of kind of wish there were there was like there was like this this caretaker position where it's obvious that Buck Showalter is the boss, the middle manager of 25 major league veterans who they all respect, who they all listen to. And then I kind of sort of wish there was that tactical manager who made the in-game decisions, but we haven't really made that separation yet. There may be clubs that do that, but the Mets don't seem to be one of those teams. Yeah, I mean, if it comes down to one game, you know, that's the same thing I remember back in 2019. It came down to three games and, you know, it was, oh, well, this game, this game, this game in September. It could have been any three games over the course of the season. Last year, it could have been any one or two games over the course of the season that would have given them a better, if they'd won one game in that Cubs series that they got swept, that they had no business not winning any of those games, you know, that would have changed the outcome of the season. If this season comes down to one game, I mean, there's a, there's a real winner in terms of the the doubleheader yesterday, the first game running Denny Reyes out there for the second inning. And he gives up more, two more home runs or one more home run. I can't remember who Acuna hit his home run off. But I think it was lo- credits, so, so yeah. it, was, it was just one more home Still, okay, so But still, that's that was a winnable game. They had they had Strider's number. They could have won that game. They, it came down to a run. That, it, you know, it's poor in-game management. He never ended up using Adam Adovino in that doubleheader. And, of course, you can't anticipate, like, oh, you know, I might need Adovino for the second game. But at a certain point, you know, Tommy Hunter looked fine, but why are we doing Tommy Hunter for two innings? Why are we doing, why is Jeff Brigham going out there another inning? It, it's a, it's a lot of really weird bullpen management. Yeah. Yeah. It's odd. Uh, and again, like I, I don't know how much the decision to pitch Denny Reyes, for example, is on Buck. I don't know how much of that is Epler. I don't know how much of that is the system. Um, but it, whoever made that decision uh, was not thinking about like winning a single game. There, there was probably more advanced thoughts uh, to be made. But regardless of, of all of that, we, we have been told that the cavalry is coming. We're, we're going to get our first start from Justin Verlander um, at some point in the coming days. Uh, and Max Scherzer should be coming back as well. I believe both of them are going to face off against the Tigers. They will probably have pitch by the time this episode airs. So we don't know uh, how well they uh, will have pitched by that time. But my question to you is, what can we expect from from Scherzer and Verlander? Are they the saviors of this pitching staff? They're certainly paid as if they should be. And is that an expectation that we should set for two pitchers who are 40 plus haven't looked very good in his first few starts in the case of Scherzer and hasn't pitched in the regular season yet in the case of Verlander? I mean, Scherzer's going to be better than Jose Mudo, probably. Like the, that's that's a reasonable expectation to me that that, that trade-off is going to go there. Verlander, we don't know, but his entire career has indicated, you know, he was pitching at the age of 39 last year if you're going off of the the track record even just the last few years as he's gotten older he's someone who knows how to change with his body as he gets older he knows how to adapt and I think that that's going to be very interesting really the the main thing for both of them is just going to be health I mean we saw it with Scherzer last year he got hurt a lot um including right at the end of the season probably pitched hurt during that 
playoff series. Verlander, you know, he had this was his first injury other than Tommy John and the one he had in 2005. He's getting older. This might just be a thing now. I don't think you can lay all your hopes and dreams on them, but I think that in both cases, adding them to the rotation is going to be an upgrade from what we've had. So I don't see how it can, I don't see how it can get any worse. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think logically it's probably, um, it's not the best idea to think that like this is going to lead to the Mets turnaround, but I can also understand from Mets, from a Mets fans perspective of these are the two highest paid players in baseball from an average annual value standpoint. And if they don't pitch like the two aces that they're expected to be, then what exactly is this season going to look like? And I think that is what worries me the most. I shared this with you before the season began. The thing that worried me the most about this team was all of their starting pitchers that they were going to expect to rely on for 30 starts or old. And we may not get 20, 25 out of any of them. And that's that's the thing that I feared the most that is manifesting so far in the first month. And it is just the first month to 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 say that this is going to continue for the rest of the season is you, you know something that I can't guarantee. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's what I worry about. I've been very encouraged by the bullpen. I'm not worried about uh, the offense in the slightest. I think that uh, this is obviously a very good hitting team. But when you score eight runs against the Braves, it doesn't really matter if the pitching gives up nine. Yeah, I mean, this could be part, this could even just be part of the Calvary. You know, it could be, okay, we get them back and then come the trade deadline, there's going to be starters who are available. Even past, you know, obviously, dream big shoot for the stars, it's Shohei Otani. But Lucas Giolito could be available. He's mm. This is his last year of his contract. Corbin Burns could be available, probably cost a little bit more because he's got another year past this one. You know, even relievers. Liam Hendricks looks like he's going to be back before the end of May. That's he right. could be available. There, there could be pieces that are available in the market for not much that could be the final piece of the Calvary. Your Yoenna Cespedes trade in 2015, the final piece that pushes you to the end. It could be that this year it's a starting pitcher and they need to trade for someone. You don't know. This could just be the beginning of it. I mean, also the 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 lineup was in wasn't looking too hot, and then the cavalry came when Beatty and Alvarez showed up because both of them have been looking better. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 I do think that this this May schedule that we see a lot of games against uh, the Rockies and the Tigers and and the Nationals like it it this is a time for the Mets to to retool to to rack up some wins against some pretty easy opponents. I'm not going to do the thing where, where I predict they will take two out of three against the nationals like I did last week. Cause <laughs> that blew up in my face. So I'm just going to say that uh, I hope they do well against the tigers. Uh, and, uh, and hopefully this, uh, the ship can be steered back on track. Yeah. I hope they. I hope they at least win the games I'm going to because I'll tell you, two straight losses in those fashions have not been fun. Um, we are pretty close to the little, little bit past, not as past as we've been in the past uh, weeks. A little bit past our little time limit we give ourselves. So why don't we take a break and we'll be right back with some uh, different topics. Step into the world of power, loyalty 
and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we are back. Uh, Grace, you know Dwayne Wade, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, are, are are you familiar with what Dwayne Wade said about his housing situation uh, in uh, the past week or so? Yeah, I, I didn't see the full statement, but I did see sort of the general gist of it that he's uh, getting the hell out of Florida. Yeah, uh, his family actually, I believe, moved out of Florida in 2021. So they've been out for the past couple of years. And... Uh, I don't have the specifics about it, but what I do know is that he was conducting an interview where the interviewer asked him if a reason why he and his family moved out of Florida was because of that state's anti-trans stances and legislation. And Dwayne Wade unequivocally said yes, that it was something that they weighed in their decision to sell their house in Miami and to live full time on the West Coast, and I, I had, I had some ambivalent feelings about it because it, I, I had a mix of of, of joy, of um, of of success, but also of sadness and resignation. And and so before I get into my feelings, I, I want to know how, like, what strikes you as the most interesting thing about. Dwayne Wade, like, just flat out saying, Florida sports hero that he is, yeah, I, I just can't live in Florida anymore because, like, my family's safety comes as my top priority. I mean, you just hit the nail around the head. He's from that, that his, basically his entire success, successful career, Hall of Fame career, took place in Miami. He went to Chicago for a, a season, but then went back to Miami. Like, he is, no, he is a Miami Heat through and through. Um, it's, it's definitely, I mean, it's gotta be sad for him at least that, and him and his family, they lived there. They spent their entire lives, you know, there while he was playing and everything like that. Uh, you know, I, good for him that he's, he's getting out. And what I love about Dwayne Wade and something I like a lot about the NBA in, in particular is that they are in terms of the major sport leagues, the most of the men's sports leagues, I'll say, because the women's sports leagues are always great with like social issues. They're the most vocal about these social issues. Mm. So it's great to hear someone of his stature speak out about this. And I get the feeling of resignation too, that basically at this point, the only solution that you can see right now is to move because it's not getting any better. It's just not getting any better. But everything that's been happening, it's going to take a little while at least for it to get better before it gets worse. Um, it's 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 got to be said, but I commend him and Gabrielle Union for both the activism that they have been they have been doing in the past however many years since Zara's his daughter's name, right? 
uh, Zaya. Zaya. Since Zaya came out and, and everything like that, they've been doing amazing work and they're so, they seem like such lovely people. Like it's, it's, it's just great to see them. Um, but good on them for, for basically putting Zaya's health and wellness first. Yeah, huge shout out to the Wade Union family. One thing I, I want to point out about the family dynamic is that I'm someone who follows the NBA pretty closely. And I know two things about Zaya Wade. I know that she's a Wade and that she is trans. And that is it. Those, that, that, that's, those are the only things I know about her. And that's how it should be. Like these are two parents that obviously care very much about not just doing right for their daughter, but also protecting her identity and protecting her safety at, at all costs. And I think this move is a measure of that. And I do think there is some context that needs to be included here. Like every NBA family, they live in Los Angeles. Dwayne Wade is the host of a TV game show I've never seen. Gabrielle Union is an actor. Wade also, I believe, is a part owner of the Utah Jazz. And so living on the West Coast just makes a whole lot of sense for them. And so like when Wade says that this decision was weighed in part by Florida's anti-trans stance, I believe that. I don't believe that it was like the key reason why they just happened to live in a $20 million mansion in the Hidden Hills. Like they're, they're a wealthy family that would probably just want to live in Los Angeles anyway, because that's the spot for their careers. But I also felt a lot of sadness in, in this idea that Dwayne Wade, who in my estimation is probably the most decorated athlete in the history of South Florida sports, simply can't live in South Florida, says that like this, this place that hosted all of my greatness is too hostile for my family to live in. And it's not just sad for me to think about that on a family level, but it's also sad for me to think about that on a state level to think that, oh, this, all of, all of this anti-trans rhetoric legislation, the point of all of it is to make sure that there's no trans people living in the state of Florida, whether that be by suppression or whether that be by making sure that they move out of the state. And it, it, in that sense, it worked. Like the state bullied a very wealthy and powerful family out of living in their state just because they were hostile to, you know, one of their children. So while I'm while I'm happy for the Wade family for making what I believe is a prudent decision about their family's safety, and also for just being very supportive and ideal allies in this space where they're very quietly fighting and supporting trans rights without ever putting their foot in their mouth. Like it's amazing to me how like I've never heard a negative statement from Wade or Union whether that be from ignorance or whether that be from from malice, like they seem to be the the ideal allies in this space. Um, they're they're just they're just killing it in that regard. But like, yeah, uh, I I feel a couple of ways about it. But just glad they're they're in a good spot. Yeah, I mean, 
I can't wait to see I mean, the real the real thing here is going to be once once Disney takes Florida to court. Sure. That is the one thing I cannot wait to see because they don't realize the world of trouble that they are getting themselves into. And by they, I mean the state of Florida. <laughs> Disney has more power than anything in this world. Like that, it's crazy. As someone who generally dislikes Disney for their control over everything and their general conservative nature when they make their films. Um, I can't wait to see them just absolutely demolish Ron DeSantis. It'll be fantastic. It's them and like that and Meatball Ron as a nickname is just gonna just kick the shit out of him for the next three years. It, but it, it, it does suck because the thing is, is once you take him out of the equation, there's five more of him waiting behind him. Like this isn't gonna stop. And it's just, there is, if, if Dwayne Wade can't fight this problem, the man who made South Florida sports, who's going to be able to? Who's going to be able to step up and say, I'm not leaving. You're not going to bully me out of here. It, it does. There is like a sense of hopelessness there. I I favor pudding fingers more than meatball Ron. <laughs> but I think that's just a me thing. But yeah, no, you're, you're right. He's uh, if, and I, I, it's possible that we overvalue the, the cultural cachet of athletes just because we're sports fans, maybe people don't actually care that Dwayne Wade is like leaving South Florida or they just understand that, yeah, you're in the NBA. So you live in Los Angeles because that's just what everyone does in the NBA. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it, it's definitely something that made me happy, made me sad. I, 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 <laughs> it's just queer existence right now. I guess. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, before we end this uh, segment, I want to give a Quick shout out to Zoe Zephyr. Zoe Zephyr, Zephyr, Zephyr with a Z. Uh, she is a legislature in the Montana State House, uh, and she is suing the Montana legislator. I didn't know that you could do this. I didn't know that like you could be a state representative and then sue the state house. Anyway, uh, Zoe Zephyr is a representative out of Missoula, Montana. Uh, she's the only trans representative in the Montana State House, uh, and she is suing the state uh, for what she believes is a censuring of her opposition to their multiple anti-trans bills. Uh, I, I want to give a shout out to Zoe Zephyr and tell her to fight the good fight and hope that she ends up uh, if not with a victory, with at least a lot of media attention. Now, I know the ACLU is is on her side, and so she's going to get a lot of money to 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 fight this. Um, but I think that's really cool, and I, I know that it is the result of some really hateful and bad shit going on. And uh, if you live in Missoula, Montana, I believe you should be pretty angry that your representative is being silenced. Um, but also, I, I think there's a lot of hope here, and there's there's a lot of support going to her, and I would like to lend our support as well. This has been really wild to watch. Like, it, it, she's she's becoming, like, this modern folk hero in a way. Like, everything she does now is, like, big news. I saw her, she, she went out and sat on the bench because she wasn't allowed in the, in the, wherever they do that thing. I'm blanking on the words. Um, but she's sitting out there on the bench. She's doing the work out there, and then the, the, county clerk the 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 clerk inside the 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 state house is like yeah i quit i'm going to work for her and then she goes back to missoula and she gets like a hero's welcome this thousand people stand out there cheering for her like she just won first prize at the 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 county fair like it's crazy 
And it's it's one of those things. It is. It's disheartening that they would do this to her. But she's suing, and she's a really good case here, at least from my vantage point, that she's she's being silenced. And it's not just she's being silenced. It's not they're silencing one person. They're silencing a representative. That's what the whole country is based on was our refusal to not have representation. And now you're basically saying, well, we don't like you. So all of the, the thousands of people that you represent, they don't get a representative now. It's crazy. I just, she's, like you said, this is, she's great. I love everything I've seen about her. She seems really thoughtful and, and really great at her job that she's in there and she is just not, she will fight to last breath to make sure that these laws don't pass. And obviously they'd impact her as well. But it's not just her. It's people. These are real people that these laws affect. Yeah. Um, if you're trans and you make it that high in government, you have to be pretty extraordinary. Like to to be able to overcome all of the obstacles that it takes to get a at least a plurality of people in your district to say, yep, I want you to represent me and my thoughts, even though like you don't look or sound anything like the majority of people in my district. Like, yeah, you, you kind of have to be an extraordinary person. And I, I think the the one thing I did not expect from this fight against anti-trans legislation on the state level is for me to know the names of state representatives outside of my, I don't know state representatives in my own state. I, I couldn't <laughs> tell you who I send to Sacramento to represent me, but I know the names of Justin Jones and Justin Pearson, who both represent Memphis, and I know the name of Zoe Zephyr, who represents Missoula. I've never been to those cities. <laughs> I don't have any interest in going to those cities. The fact that I know their names at all, but also know what they stand for, that that's a huge thing. That's a huge win for these people. It reminds me a lot of, I don't know if you remember this, this is going back, I think, 10 years now at this point, Wendy Davis, whose name I still remember right. from the, the Texas state uh, legislation, where she filibustered for days trying to right. stop an, an anti-abortion bill. These people, when they when they do these things, when these representatives stick to their guns and represent their people and their values, the values that they have been elected to uphold, the even in the face of such difficulty and such hatred, when they continue to do this, they take on a life of their own, much like, I mean, doesn't end great. The story of this doesn't end great, but much like Harvey Milk. We all still remember Harvey Milk's names. And he was just a legislator in California who he didn't have any effect on, on me in New York. I wasn't even born at the time. Right. But these people become heroes because they are so driven to protect and to uphold the people that they are elected to serve. Yeah. Uh, shout out Zoe Zephyr. Uh, hope that uh, all the money and support comes your way. Uh, we're we're going to take a break, uh, come back with our third act. Uh, don't go anywhere. I don't expect you would go anywhere, but <laughs> do that anyway. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? 
Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. conditions apply. See website for details. All right, and we are back. It's at three now. Uh, Christian, did you see the Mariner City Connect uh, uniforms that just came out? I did. Black pants. That's that's what I remember about them. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have a hot take here. I actually like the black pants with that jersey. Like I wouldn't like them in other scenarios, but the color scheme and the the racing stripes on the pants. I just I don't know. I'm a fan of the pants with that jersey. I don't inv- like the Dodgers ones, the, the 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 all blue ones. I think those look terrible. The black pants with that jersey, I think, look great. Oh, I like the Dodgers City Connect uniforms, <laughs> but I also like just about all of the City Connect uniforms. Like the City Connect uniforms that I'm that I, I wasn't so hot on initially, I've come around to them. I think that baseball uniforms, while beautiful and a, a big reason why I like baseball in general, have been pretty stale and stayed over the past 50 years or so too. So to see all of this color, to see all this ingenuity coming out in these, even if some people don't like them, I'm, I'm so happy to, to see all of this. But yeah, Seattle, I amongst the pack, I would grade it at like a mid. Like I, I don't think it's as uh, as like colorful and boisterous as San Diego's, for example. I really, really love what San Diego did with their like vaporwave beach city connect uniforms um but uh, but i also don't think it's like as like classically like on point as the angels i love the angel city connect uniforms and i think part of the reason why i love the angel city connect uniforms is because they're so much better than their regular ones like if if i look at your city connects and i think to myself that's that that should be your full time high marlins high angels high rockies <laughs> then like you did a good job. So um, I, I, I'm I'm a big fan of just about all the City Connect uniforms. Seattle, like, I think they did a good job. Let me see it on the field before I, I you know, make a final call on it. Yeah, the pictures I've seen, again, they haven't won them on the field yet, so final decision pending. But pictures I've seen, I really like them, but that's because they, they're kind of half throwbacks to the mm. old Trident jer- jerseys, which I think are so awesome. I love a throwback jersey. The Phillies powder blues, absolutely adore yep. them. Any team's powder blues. I would like a Mets powder blue if they could ever do one. They've never mm. done one before, but I'd, I'd wear it. Um, I'm a Mets black jersey fan, so I love a fun, different jersey. Uh, San Diego's is great. I loved the uh, the Washington ones with cherry blossoms. I think those look great. The Angels ones, you are correct, are the best jerseys that they wear generally. Um I can't really think of any that I, I truly did. I'm not a huge fan of the Rangers ones that just came out. I just think the logo on the chest is a little busy, mm. but like none of them I hate, like none of them like, ugh, get that, get them, get that off of them. Most of them I like, I'm interested to see, cause this year we're getting, I know we're still, we still have, I think the Orioles, the Pirates. I want to say there's one or two others we're getting this year. We're not getting the Mets this year. I'd love to see what they're no. going to end up doing for the Mets because I genuinely, there's there's a lot of stuff they could mine there, but I also feel like it very quickly could move from the realm of like looking really cool to looking really ugly. Yeah, um, I, I I don't exactly know what to expect out of the Mets here because 
the one thing I'm super happy about is that the Wilpons do not own the team right now because the City Connect uniforms would be blue and they would say Brooklyn on them. And <laughs> and I, I, I don't necessarily think that's that's the worst thing, um, but it, it would be entirely uncreative. There was a lot of talk, maybe in the wrong spaces, but a lot of talk about how the Mets City Connect uniforms, if and when they ever... Uh, come to be should use the iconography iconography of the New York MTA and specifically the seven line, perhaps make something with purple as the primary color to reflect the the color of the seven line. And this seems to be a a predominant desire of Mets fans online about how they want the City Connect uniform to look like. Is that something that you're on board with? I think if it's done right, it could look cool, but I don't, because that lettering is, like, you could really get weird, like, it could get weird real quick with that and, like, not look super great, because it's very, like, typeface, regular font that you'd find in almost, like, a computer, the MT, MTA font. Right. Um, I feel like they could do something cool with, like, the skyline. I think that would be cool yes. on a jersey. Like, across the chest, I think the skyline would look really hot. I, I don't know if you saw this, but there was... Um... There was there was a Mariners fan that posted on Twitter the City Connect uniforms as they currently are, but instead of it saying Seattle across the chest, it was the outline of the skyline from the Frasier logo. And <laughs> I thought it looked incredible that that's exactly how it should be. And the Mets already have a template for that. They have the skyline in their primary logo. To simply paste that on a black jersey maybe have the skyline in in neon colors to sort of reflect um the players outside of shea stadium i think that would be a really interesting idea something with no words just skyline it's obviously the mets um but something that's that's different uh, that's representative of New York because I here's the other thing about the Mets City Connect uniforms that I think people aren't taking into account. The Yankees aren't going to have one. Like <laughs> the Yankees will be the last team. They're going to have to be dragged into a design room to figure out what a third uniform will look like because they are so connected to their two jerseys that they don't even want to consider it. So the Mets City Connect uniforms they have the potential to represent, you know, not just Queens, but all of New York City. This is one time where the Mets can claim all of the city because the Yankees sure aren't going to do it. So <laughs> that skyline idea, I think, can work really, really well. And I mean, you were saying with the, the neon stuff like Shea Stadium, you could do something cool with that with like the names and numbers on the back. Cause they've shown with these City Connects that they will change the fonts on the back mm -hmm. and have them be really cool and stuff. You could do something like that and make it look like the neon signs that were outside Shea Stadium. There's a lot of really interesting stuff that they can go with that isn't just the MTA. So that way, when I look at the jerseys, I don't just think of the smell of piss. <laughs> yeah, I... I'm I'm not opposed to a seven line jersey. Here's but there are two things that I that I want to like point out. A the Nets did this last year. The the Nets their third jersey used the MTA Helvetica font. It had the circle on the numbers and they looked really good. They were my favorite Nets jerseys that I've seen but it, it wouldn't strike anyone as creative. And the other thing is that 
the Boston Red Sox also did this too. Like their yellow and blue jerseys are a tribute to their own Metro system. And so the Mets doing it three years after the Red Sox introduced theirs. By the way, that's a beloved jersey. I, I still see it all the time at Red Sox games. Like fans are wearing the yellow jersey like nothing. Um, I, I don't think it's the most creative approach. I do think it's the one that best represents Queens. And if that's something that the Mets really, really want to lean into, like we're not uh, the, necessarily a New York team, but we are very much a Queens team, then I think that's a, a very safe decision. Um, but I do think there are better options. It's fun that the, the the Boston fans love those jerseys. I actually like those jerseys, but I know a lot of people really hate those jerseys. I think they look nice. I think the color scheme is, is nice. I mean, it's not the Boston color scheme, but how many of these teams' jerseys actually match what their color schemes right. are? They're just cool. Um, yeah, I mean, like you said, I saw those Nets jerseys. Those Nets jerseys are really cool looking. But again, like you said, with that and the Boston ones paying tribute to the, the subway line, how original is the Mets doing the seven line also the seven line specific jerseys might encourage the wrong people mm -hmm. i'm not going to say by name but i do find them very annoying and i don't want to give them anything more to be encouraged by um but yeah i i i genuinely in my head if i were to create the city connect jerseys for the mets it would be skyline first if they want to put queens across like you said you could just leave it blank after that and it'd be fine they probably want to put something across the front if they put like queens across the front it'd probably look cool um, there's a lot of really interesting stuff. I know, I think athlete logos did one where he had on the, the sleeve was like neon designs of like players. Like they used to have outside chase stadium. That would look really cool. There's a lot of really interesting directions. You could take them as ones. I, I agree that that would be my, my top choice, but here's my second choice. Hear me out. It's going to look really <laughs> ugly, but hear me out. I I'm conceiving a jersey that is constructed exactly like the home run apple with a green hat, a red shirt with the Mets circle logo in the middle and black pants with the word home run emblazoned <laughs> across the crotch. <laughs> you say that would look really ugly. And I feel like a lot of people would agree with that statement. I would buy about 10 of those, like full top to bottom. I'd be dressed like that. That would be so awesome. It's, it's, it, I, it, it's the one piece of like iconography that you can attribute to the Mets. It's the apple, like maybe Mr. Met as well. But other than that, the Mets don't have a visual representation that is more evocative than the apple. And so uh, I, I don't think they're gonna go in this direction. Um, but I would highly encourage that they consider it. I mean, Mr. Met, have them all come out in gigantic heads. That would be fun too. Let's get crazy. Yeah, I, I'd <laughs> love it too. Uh, Grace, you got a movie for us? I sure do. Um, so I went and saw, so I've been trying to catch up this week. I've been a little bit behind on the uh, 2022 releases. Life got in the way, um, but I've been catching up. And I saw this movie this week called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. It debuted at TIFF last year, and then it came out a few weeks ago. It's kind of mostly out of theaters. You might still be able to find it in, like, larger metropolitan areas. It's about this group of people who all have their different reasons for it. They decide to commit eco-terrorism and blow up a pipeline to sort of send a message. This movie, it's like a 70s thriller, kind of like a, um, almost like a, 
this is the 70s, but like the Safdie brothers with Uncut Gems and Good Time, kind of like that, like feeling very gritty, really looks like it's shot on film. It looks great. The score's incredible. I was blown away by this. I was, I'm not someone who sits on the edge of my seat watching a movie if I'm really like, I'll, I don't really get into it that much because I do have like sort of a two-way removed from the movie where I'm like watching for both technique and the story. I was on the edge of my seat watching these people try to blow up this pipeline. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, are they going to die doing this? Are they going to get caught? And there's a twist at the end that I didn't see coming. And went from like four and a half to five stars in my opinion. My favorite movie of the year thus far. It's got a great cast. Um, I don't know if you're familiar. Ariella Bearer, who is in, I'm probably mispronouncing her name. I'm sorry. Um, she was in Run- The Runaways, the Marvel TV show. I didn't watch mm. it. I read those comic books. Um, she was in a couple episodes of One Day at a Time, the first season when it was on Netflix. She's been a couple other things. She is the lead and she co-wrote it. Um, I would have never guessed that she would. I mean, I thought she was a great actress. She seemed really cool. But I never would have thought that her first thing that she would have actually worked behind the scenes in that capacity would be something this awesome. Like this like really cool and kind of outsider um sasha lane who i've loved in literally everything i've ever seen her in she was in american honey and hearts beat loud and the miseducation and camera post which i didn't love because i loved the book so much and i thought it wasn't a great adaptation but she's great in it forrest good luck who was also in the miseducation and camera post he was in the revenant uh it just in lucas gage who's like a big thing now he's he's everywhere he's in this movie it's a crazy cast the movie is so good like i i want to tell everyone to see this movie my my interaction with this movie or how I learned about this movie was thus. I watched a trailer on Twitter for the Blackberry movie. I don't know what it's called. And I Black came Arrow. away. It's it's just, okay, cool. It's just called Blackberry. <laughs> I came away from that thinking, this is, this is just brand. This is, this is a movie about a brand. Cool. Not interested in the slightest the very next one was how to blow up a pipeline and i'm like how did these trailers come back to back in my twitter feed because they are the opposite movie and i'm so glad that you enjoyed it uh you you say it's your favorite movie of the of the year it came out in 2022 though does does that mean it's your favorite movie 22 or 23 what so if you're looking it up it'll say 2022 because it premiered at the tiff at the toronto international film festival um but it actually didn't come out in theaters stateside until about a month ago. Very nice. Yeah. I haven't seen a ton of movies this year, so obviously that can change, but it is my first five star, five out of five movie of the year. Like, I think it's incredible. Can't wait to rewatch it. The best word to call it is like, you know, in the trailer, gripping, exhilarating, stuff like that. You think it's bullshit, it's not. This movie is insane. How many five star ratings do you give per year? Anyway, I watch a lot of movies a year. So thinking back every year, I usually, of the new releases, I usually see, this is going to be a big number. I usually see around 100 to 130 new movies each year um, from that year. I usually give out somewhere in the vicinity of like 10 to 15. So like solid seven to 10% of the movies. I'm easier to get on the five-star rating, but I do think there's like a delineation in my five-star ratings. There's five-star ratings where I think it's actually a four out of five, but I just had such a good time watching it. And then there's five-star ratings where I'm like, this is incredibly made. I put How to Blow Up a Pipeline in both, but more the incredibly made and also just such a fun time in the theaters. So right now it's number one. 
I genuinely don't see it dipping below number 10, quite honestly, unless a ton of stuff blows me away this year, but I really do see it staying in my top 10. All right. Well, I'm hoping my local art house cinema will show it because <laughs> I am interested in watching this. I also love a movie that just tells you exactly what it's about in the title. Beautiful stuff there. Yeah, it's based on a book too. I haven't read the book. Um, I've been I looked at my local library, and unsurprisingly, for where I live, not a single library stocks the book called "How to Blow Up a Pipeline." Mm. So I'm gonna probably have to buy it. Um, but it, weirdly, it's one of those movies that's based on a book, but it's based on a nonfiction, non-narrative book. Like the book, from my understanding, is basically like convincing people that the only way forward might just be at least extreme activism, if right. not to the point of eco-terrorism. Um, but it, it works. They, they, Ariella Bearer and Daniel Goldhaber, who directed the film, found a narrative out of this book and made it into a great movie. Uh, I also quickly have a story about uh, local library tendencies. <laughs> Um, the the book Winning Fixes Everything about the, the Houston Astros cheating scandal. Uh, there are, I believe, 17 copies in my city's local library system and 25 different um, ebook copies as well. And they are all reserved for the next six months because I live in Los Angeles and Dodgers fans really, really want to read this book. What's funny is I live in New York. I live on Long Island. There's a lot of Yankee fans who you would presume want to read this book. I had it on because my my local library system, which is for the entire county, there's maybe like 30 libraries in the county, um, 30 or 40. I think out of all of those, maybe there were two copies, if, if two, maybe just one. I had it on request. I wasn't anticipating getting it for several months just because, you know, someone had checked it out and a lot of times the local libraries are restrictive on who gets to take out their new books first uh, i guess i just had it on hold for so long that my library asked for a copy so i ended up getting it within like a month of the book coming out um when you do get a chance to read it it's fantastic um but yeah i i believe my library into getting the book for me nice um <laughs> i wish wish i had that that power as well um I, I do have hardcover copies available at my local bookstore, but what I don't have is $32. And so I'm <laughs> waiting for a paperback or a, a free copy from the library to open up. Uh, and with that, I think we can end uh, this week's episode. Grace, do you have any parting ideas? Um, sure. Hoping they win some games against the Tigers and Rockies, uh, especially Friday night when I will be attending the game. Um, other than that, Love the kids, love Brett Beatty and Francisco Alvarez, and let's go, Max. Yeah, I'm happy they're playing up to their competition. Hopefully they don't play down to their competition either. So let's go, Mets. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>